So thank you first to Stephanie and Evelyn um, and, and Crossil for doing this. <laughs> um, as Crossil said, I'm a PhD student here in the anthropology department and I'm looking at asylum seekers in Oxford City and also in a detention centre, Campsfield. I'll be just looking at one particular part of my thesis here, which is about criminalisation. Um, I'm not going to make any references to works that I read, but I do just want to thank Francis Weber because I have drawn a lot on your work. <laughs> okay, and basically what I'll be arguing is that um, asylum seekers or people within the asylum system in detention are grappling with imposed identities as criminals, whether through actually being punished through a criminal sentence or through just being um, living with the technologies of crime and punishment. And I'll be arguing that that has a lot of impacts on their experiences um, and public perception. I'll be looking at some of the practical um, implications of being criminalised, but also the subjective of having a label as a criminal. So I'll just quickly go over some backgrounds and my methodology, and then I will look at the types of crimes and some of the implications. So the idea of the legal immigrant is one that's obviously quite well known in uh, media and, and in some politics, and it's one that's increasingly used within sort of EU, even EU legislation. And there's obviously the links there with illegal immigration, with ID theft and terrorism and crime and all sorts of ways. And what I mean by criminalisation is an overrepresentation of foreigners in prison and um, police districts, an increase in immigration-related crimes an increase in crimes that only foreigners can really commit, which has led some, um, including the Council of Europe, to suggest that these people are being detained in some ways purely for not being nationals of EU countries. And then the prison-like paraphernalia, such as within detention um, and surveillance, reporting at police stations, electronic tagging, biometrics, um, things like that. And to some extent, this has been seen as a circular logic in which you increase the language of criminality when talking about migrants um, and you increasingly deem the behaviour of migrants to be illegal, you're going to increasingly find that immigrants are illegal and uh, go down in a circle, which is something that's been criticised by a number of people, including within the UN and EU. And within this wider criminalisation of migration, I'm particularly looking at asylum seekers or people that in some way are part of the asylum system and I would see them as particularly vulnerable um, for not having a, a full legal identity, being in a limbo situation. And also the threat of deportation in those cases are often more striking than um, for a lot of immigrants. And within, within the asylum system, the ex-foreign national prisoner debate here is one that's particularly relevant, which um, came about with a media outcry a few years ago and means that any foreigner who's been... Um, sentenced to 12 months or more is automatically then put in detention at the end of their sentence and deported, which means that a lot of asylum seekers who have been given criminal records end up being reclassified as ex-foreign national criminals and then go through deportation. Um, so I did 18 months of anthropological fieldwork in different places, but including Campsfield. It was um, not a, a, a not a, field, a normal fieldwork experience, certainly no. for anthropological distant observation techniques. So I had various ways in, including working for an MP whose constituency Campbell was in, and for a local NGO, Asylum Welcome, who, which supports detainees in office-based and in visiting. Um, so I spoke to probably over 100 detainees. I also did interviews with a variety of people, including UK border agency staff at Campbell and of GEO, the company that run it. Uh, Campbell is 
relatively good, <laughs> that's the word, um, within the migration cent- detention centres in this country, according to the uh, Chief Inspector of Prisons at least, and detainees actually. It uh, has a large mix of people in terms of nationalities um, and also in terms of immigration statuses. There are all sorts of ethical issues about, I think, doing research with detainees, and I think you can question whether anybody in incarceration can give full consent. A lot of these people had a lot of mental health problems. Um, because I was providing a service, in many cases I didn't tell people I was also doing research because I didn't want the boundaries to be blurred and I didn't want anyone to think that I was providing service on the condition they helped me. But I think you can argue against that. I've anonymised everything, so there should be no identity features. And my informants, when I talk about them, are people that were in some way in the asylum system or had claimed asylum, were detained at Campsfield, some of which also had criminal records, but not all. So some of the types of crimes that my informants had been committed of, some were not related to immigration, so driving offences, fraud, but in the majority of cases they'd been, um, they'd had crimes, they'd served sentences for crimes that were in some way related to their immigration case. So absconding, uh, living without official right to remain here, using false identity documents or destroying their identity documents, um, not cooperating with the removal process, working illegally, very often a combination of these as they increasingly slid into illegality, um, and entering illegally, which I'm not going to discuss, but is something, uh, it's increasingly hard for asylum seekers to come in legally to this country. And in many cases, a lot of these offences had the 12-month sentence, which therefore automatically meant they were ex-foreign national prisoners and would be deported. And misconding, a lot of people overstayed visas. Friends told them that they were likely to fail and assign cases, claims that they didn't. Some people couldn't afford to travel because they didn't have any support, so they couldn't go to the police station to report each week. A lot of people were scared of being deported, so stopped reporting. This is two young Afghans. One said, I was so scared they'd deport me to Afghanistan, I left everything. Left my house, left my things, left everything. And then another Afghan detainee, I received a letter saying they were going to send me away. This letter was read to me by a friend that they were going to send you away. And then I left everything, the house, the school, behind. Once out of touch, people often um, got into working, whether cash in hand or through getting um, false identity documents. Quite a few people were still reported, they hadn't absconded, but they still had to work. And quite often people told me that they felt they'd been forced into working by the withdrawal or the withholding of government sports, and therefore had been forced to sort of break the law, become criminals, and get deported. Um, several of my informants had criminal sentences for false identity documents, um, often used to enter or leave the country, and also to work. So, for example, this Cameroonian man had been arrested using a false document to, and these are his words, obtain a national insurance number so as to get a better life rather than to steal and beg from people as I was not getting any financial support from the government. Um, an immigration solicitor told me that false documents has been a crime for a long time, but that it's only really been in the last few years that it's been particularly um, pursued by police. And certainly in my experience, it was quite harshly um, punished so, for example, this Ugandan failed asylum secret Campsfield had been convicted of having a false identity document, and the sentencing judge said, and this is another quote, possession and use of a false passport undermines immigration and border controls that Parliament has seen fit to put in place to protect the nation states. Thus, offences involving passports with intent to use are serious. Such offences strike at the very authority of the state and thus receive substantial punishment. And the last type of crime that I'm going to look at is... Um, 
is one that came in with the 2004 Immigration Act, Section 35, which is about non-cooperation with the removal process. So it's now a criminal offence if you don't cooperate, which means not giving information, not giving documents, refusing to give your fingerprints, refusing to be photographed, or refusing to sign the right forms to get emergency travel documents. And a lot of cases are spent people were going between prison and immigration detention in a circular way. So, for example, um, an Iranian Christian detainee had been refused asylum. He lived um, and worked illegally. He was eventually detained in the immigration estate. They wanted to remove him to Iran. He refused to sign the document, preferring prison than to be removed. So he was then prosecuted under Section 35, uh, sentenced to 12 months prison, recommended for deportation, served six months, went back into the immigration estate, still refused to sign the forms. Iran, the Iranian embassy wouldn't give travel documents without it, so just, again, prosecutors with Section 35, essentially going back into prison. Um, but in many cases, it wasn't that people had chosen not to, um, to cooperate. It was that there was a dispute about their nationality, so they were refusing to cooperate with whichever country the Home Office thought that they belonged to. So, for example, this man, Paul, he'd arrived and um, claimed asylum in the UK in 2006 as a Sierra Leonean, and he had been refused and detained in 2008. They took him to the embassy, as the Sierra Leonean embassy, but they refused to recognise him as Sierra Leonean and said maybe he's Nigerian. Um, he refused to cooperate with uh, any travel documents to go to Nigeria, saying he was not Nigerian. And so in 2008, he was prosecuted with non-cooperation under Section 35. He had a 12-month sentence, served that in prison, then went back to the immigration estate. Um, and then there were several months in which he was put backwards and forwards between the two embassies, lots of um, interviews, and he continued to refuse to sign the forms for Nigeria, but he said he would go back to Sierra Leone. And this is a quote from him. They, the Sierra Leonean embassy, refused me that I'm not their nationality, that they are guessing he is from Nigeria, but for them it's not sure. I refuse to fill Nigerian forms because I'm not Nigerian. I don't know anything about Nigeria. How are they giving me Nigerian forms to fill? Are they forcing me to be another country nationality? Uh, and eventually, in his case, Nigeria took him. So he went back to Nigeria. Mm. Couldn't go back, he went to Nigeria. Okay, and then I'm just going to um, look at some of the implications of criminalisation. So some of my informants do not have criminal records, but I would argue that by being in somewhere like here, they were still close to the criminal system and certainly felt that they were being labelled as criminals. And I think the public perception is that people in these places are generally have done something wrong. Um, and then those with sentences had transformed from asylum seekers to ex-foreign national prisoners. And having a criminal sentence tended to make a number of practical implications, including getting bail was a lot less likely. Um, people had less access to MPs, solicitors. And in, in terms of personal perceptions, I think felt that they were being seen as somebody that had done something wrong, had hurt this country, deserved what they were getting. Um, so obviously the detention state itself has a lot of the symbolism of um, criminal system, even if it is administrative power. So you've got the razor wire and the security checks and the patrolling dogs and control, control and restraint, temporary confinement, um, it's a strikes and enhanced level privileges system at Campsfield. But of course it has a lot of differences like no judicial oversight and the indefinite and definite length of time. And indeed continued detention is often um, justified by people having criminal records and therefore being a, a, a risk to the public. And at least one case I tried to refer somebody to their MP and was told that the MP just had a general uh, policy not to represent immigrants with multiple criminal convictions so she wouldn't help him.
Um, but bail will very often refuse on the basis of a um, criminal record. So, for example, this man had a criminal record for false documents, absconding and non-cooperation. And the reason for refusal letter said, he has demonstrated a blatant disregard for the laws of the United Kingdom. This suggests little reliance may be placed on him complying with any conditions of release. It is considered that his failure to observe immigration control in the past strongly indicates he is unlikely to observe any terms of release on bail and demonstrates he is a highly deceptive individual. And worryingly, I found that in a few cases, having a criminal record uh, was used in the, the Home Office and in the judges deciding asylum cases or appeals. So, for example, judges in some cases deciding asylum appeals would refer to the quotes used by judges in criminal proceedings. Um, and in this one case of the Bangladeshi man who tried to make a fresh asylum claim, he'd been found working legally and um, the UK border agency refused to accept this application as a fresh asylum claim in part of citing the fact he'd absconded and worked illegally. Uh, so this is a letter they'd sent to the solicitor saying, your client did not bother to keep in touch with the authorities here following the refusal of his application and no appeal was lodged. He's been found to be working unlawfully and he's had sufficient time to put forward any matters he wishes to be taken into consideration. Okay, so those are some of the practical implications. Um, there was also quite a lot of subjective implications about being labelled as a criminal, I found. Um, a lot of shock for a lot of people that they had been transformed from asylum seekers in, into criminals and detainees. A lot of people resisted that label and spent a lot of time trying to explain or apologise to me or to reassert themselves as a law-abiding good person, a good father, hard worker, um, or distancing themselves from the real criminals. So, for example, this Sri Lankan man said, I've not been convicted of committing a crime in the United Kingdom. I'm not a danger to the public. I'm a well-educated person. I can speak several languages, Tamil, Sinhalese, English, Hindu, Urdu, Japanese, and some Arabic. And a lot of others tried to differentiate themselves from the real criminals who had been or released onto the streets of uh, this country. So, for example, this African detainee said, those murderers, paedophiles, are killing people on the streets. We are all in here for nothing, for nothing. These people who commit crimes are out there, committing crimes. We are suffering. I found talking to people that um, having become criminals for working was something that people found particularly hard to comprehend. Um, the idea that working was a criminal act just it wasn't something that many people find easy to accept. To example, this um, African detainee, he's been detained for two years, I think, and he's a case of disputed nationality and neither country will take him so he's unlikely to be removed any time soon but he keeps having bail refused on the basis what well, he blames his criminal record which was working illegally which is his quote I didn't do any bad crime, only working. They say this is crime, illegal working. I say, sorry, I apologise, I never know it is a crime. The reason they give me for refusal of my case is you working illegally for this country. I didn't do no bad crime, only working. I worked to survive. And indeed, a lot of people use the fact that they've been working, sort of inverted it, and used it as a way to try and reassert themselves as a good person, that they've been paying taxes and supporting their family, even though it was a criminal act and they did it in a false identity or, or whatever. So, for example, this Cameroonian man said, um, I've never claimed benefits whilst being here. I have never committed a crime, apart from working illegally. But even during this time, I was paying tax. And likewise, a lot of people were shocked that they were criminals for migration, for immigrating into this country. Um, so this African man who'd spent most of his life in Europe said, this country is getting on immigration for nothing. I spent two Christmases, two birthdays here. For what? 
for being an immigrant. I'm not a criminal, but I have been here 11 months. And likewise, another African detainee said, I already spent a long time in prison and detention, but I know kill no one. I never do anything wrong like fraud or kill someone in this country. I never do anything bad, only claim asylum. Okay, I'm going to conclude now. What I've been trying to argue is that there's, there is a criminalisation of certain foreigners in the UK, which I think is suggested by high numbers in the criminal system, um, prisons and pseudo-criminal arenas like Campsfield. Sorry, Campsfield. Um, and as, like, in, in parallel, there's been a creation of a whole range of illicit behaviours that foreigners are most likely or the only ones that can commit that are particularly strongly pursued by police and um, engender particularly long sentences in many cases. I think within that, the place of asylum seekers is of particular concern. Um, asylum seekers are vulnerable to being treated in a way that isn't acceptable for other citizens, as others have noted. And in all cases, my informants found themselves either within the criminal system or extremely close to it as part of claiming asylum, whether it's from being somewhere that's like a prison, feels like a prison, or actually through having a criminal offence. They've been reclassified as criminals. And I think to a large extent, you could argue that there's an auto-prophecy as you increasingly say asylum seekers are criminals and illegalise their acts, then um, they're going to become criminals through actions or through reclassifying behaviours and I hope I've learned that there's a whole load of implications for that uh, both practically in terms of their asylum claims but also in terms of your self-image, um, mental health and the public perception. I'm just going to finish with one quote who is um, a young man from Somalia who'd come as a very small child and he I think really shows how unlike British people, foreigners who have committed a crime here are forever labelled criminal, they don't get to have a prison sentence and become transformed into citizens again, as British, foreign, uh, British criminals are, you are, if this was still in the country, always going to be an ex-foreign national prisoner. So this is Abdul. He um, served a prison sentence for drugs-related offences with some British friends, and once they'd left the prison, he just got moved into immigration detention. So he says, I've been here nearly three years. I know I did something wrong when I was a teenager, but I never get the chance to learn from my experience. It's like I'm stuck between walls and I don't know what to do. Okay, I'll leave it there.